promising male contraceptive pill that works in 30 minutes and wears off in a day. Excellent. Uh, and it works by targeting a soluble adenyl cyclase or sac in. <laughs> Target sacs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Published in Nature Communications. Uh, and the first author is Melanie Ballbeck. Sacks <laughs> <laughs> and balls all over the place. <laughs> I'm sorry, but has a researcher ever been born more destined to work on something? Welcome everybody to the 51st episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host Jero. Hi. So our 51st episode, and it's going to be an episode about science news again. We have some really cool topics that recently were in the news, like how heartbeats cause wrinkles in time, how to clean up space dust from your spacesuit, and male contraceptive pills. Now we cannot wait to start diving into this paper, so let's start! Okay, before we start, we want to just mention that if you love our science news episodes and would like to be kept up to date with cool and funny science news more regularly, then you can follow our brand new sister social media account called Explained by Scientists. You can find it on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn and we'll be posting a lot more science news with this channel. Now. Let's get started with today's science news. Our first topic. Jadol, I think the first one is for you. Yes, so the first topic that we're going to be talking about is novel robotic system can 3D print cells onto organs inside the body. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so when I first read it, it sounded, I, I was very skeptical of the, the claim, so dug in a little mm -hmm. bit into it. So what it turns out to be is that engineers from UNSW developed like this sort of miniature, flexible, soft robotic arm mm -hmm. that they can insert into your body, like sort of like an endoscope. And then from that tiny thing, they can sort of deliver biomaterials or drugs and sort of have it collect on the surface of the organs or, or tissues. Okay. And sort of in that way, sort of print something on top of your tissues, whatever it might be, whatever is needed to, to help heal or whatever like that. Okay. Um, this, this robot is called F3DB, which they managed to get 3D into the name. <laughs> and it stands for Flexible in Cito 3D Bioprinter, which I still think is a horrible name because they could have just gone with Bender because that it bends into the bodies, but never mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, they tested out, uh, this F3DB outside of body on sort of flat surfaces and curved surfaces to, uh, see how it actually works. And so, you know, before you get into humans or any animal testing. Mm -hmm, sure. Uh, so they used, uh, artificial colons. I wasn't really quite sure how they made those. Um, but they also used the, the kidneys of pigs to also test out how this thing would work on those. Um, and something I would never thought I would read in a, the, the materials and methods of a paper is that you would have a sentence with pig's kidney and chocolate. Um, yes. So not in addition to testing out composite gels and the actual biomaterials that you would use to print in, in, on organs, they also tested out printing with chocolate <laughs> <laughs> on pig's kidneys, by the way. Yeah. Oh, but, like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. wasn't expecting that. No. I, I would have been good with composite chocolate, uh, composite gel and biomaterials, but I guess a reviewer but in asked the, in for the chocolate. End, the idea is to print cells, right? To put yeah, like, yeah. yeah, okay. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, chocolate is in the material methods of this paper. Nice. So, in addition to sort of just being this 3D printer that can be inserted into bodies uh, very, uh, not very invasively or anything like that. 
it also just functions as a sort of normal regular endoscope device so you can just also use it for that or just cleaning like structures with water and uh, marking lesions or even dissecting tissues so it also just it's multi-purpose okay so pretty cool yeah especially when they start to do this um genetic things like mm-hmm. like crispr on cells or whatever yeah. it could be really cool if you then can then add some cells to their liver mm-hmm. that have a certain repair basically no for sure and like the main reason for going with this because we can already 3d print a lot of stuff outside of the body and then try to put it put it in Mm -hmm. but those things tend to be bigger and then you need like a really invasive surgery and stuff like that depending on where you need to go so to use this thing you can sort of make it less invasive and sort of do it on the surface itself and really have it sort of get printed on whatever sort of rough or weird surface it actually is and really fit it to the surface of the tissue uh, versus like sculpting it outside and like hope it fits okay oh cool oh yeah that was that what do you have for us I have something about how our heartbeats can cause wrinkles in time. Um, So this study, they hooked people up to a machine that plays a tone at every heartbeat. And it really precisely could measure that very fancy machine. And then this tone could have different lengths between 80 and 180 milliseconds. And then they asked people to say if this was a longer or shorter tone that they heard. Um... Now, in most humans, even with those those with the most steady pulses, there's actually a slight variation between the length between two heartbeats. So sometimes it's a bit shorter, sometimes it's a bit longer. And uh, it actually turns out that off, immediately following a shorter heartbeat, uh, the test subjects, the people, perceive the tone as lasting longer than it actually was. And also the opposite. So after... Uh, uh, a space of time where the heartbeats took longer after each other, mm-hmm. the perception was that the tone was shorter. And they think that your brain uses your heartbeat to sort of be able to tell time in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, that because there is sort of this fluctuation in time between your heartbeats that sort of makes the, your your sense of time fluctuate. And that causes sort of wrinkles in your perception of time, basically. Um, and that's what they proved uh, and that's what the sadegi at all uh did okay i mean did they do they mention anything about like how how this could be relevant for yeah daily life or something like that no it's it's i mean your heartbeats are still quite fast right and yeah. overall you'll have so many heartbeats per 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 minute, minute so yeah. it doesn't really affect you in daily life i would say yeah all those meetings last longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sadly, that's not an explanation for this, except if you can uh, show that your heartbeat actually lower during that time. Yeah. Well, it needs to go faster, right, for you to sort of perceive uh, it. Wait, let me see. If you have a shorter time to, between your heartbeats, the tone was long. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have, I guess, elevated heart rate then? Yeah, then the time should be faster. Feel faster. Okay. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> I'm afraid it's not going to fix your problem. Okay. Well, it was worth a shot. Okay. More science is required in the field of heart rate <laughs> perception of time. <laughs> okay. Well, Next then. one. Yes. So for immediately following that with something also very interesting, but completely different. Bug hacks physics with butt flickers to launch P at 40 Gs. Yes. Wait, what, what What did you just yes, say? Yes, that is a string of words that people put in a sentence. 
a bird's knee in a paper. Yes. Um, so in this study, they looked at the glass-winged sharpshooter, which is a type of bug that apparently pees up to 300 times its own body weight every day. What? Yes. Because apparently what it feeds on is this type of like tree sap or plant sap that has very low nutrients. And that is what it feeds on. But that thing also makes it pee a lot. So it has to pee about 300 times its own body weight every day. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But what's also interesting about this glass-winged sharpshooter is that it has a thing which the scientists that researched it called butt flickers. So it has this sort of anal appendage. Oh, uh, went, yes. We're going there, huh? Yeah, we're immediately going there. <laughs> so when it's, they, they, they use like um, high-speed video and microscopy to really image this. So you have a video of uh, close-up of butt, uh, bug butt. Uh-huh. Where like you see like a pea droplet sort of accumulating, just getting bigger like it's charging up for an attack. And then, yeah, sort of like a catapult, like launching it. <laughs> And from close up, it looks epic. But then you actually like zoom out and you see the bug on a plant is like, oh, you do it. Okay, that was it. <laughs> and okay. so, yeah, so they measured the airspeed of that thing. And it, yeah, it basically propels the thing at like 40 Gs from its body. Wow. But what's interesting is that you would, you would think like, okay, so it's just the, that anal appendage that's just shooting it that hard, right? Uh, no. So it turns out that uh, the anal appendage is not actually doing it that fast, but it's really like, so when the lipid droplet is like, a, not lipid droplet, the droplet is accumulating uh, and the appendage is sort of retracting, like preparing to shoot it, you sort of get like this super propulsion uh, effect where it's sort of like if someone bounces on a trampoline and it helps you sort of double bounce you oh, higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that way, like even though both things are not really uh, by themselves leading to a 40G, together they sort of propel to 40Gs like that. Okay. And <laughs> I was sort of surprised. Oh, there is more. Yeah, it's more of like, why is this useful? Why do we want to know how, why butt flickers and stuff like uh -huh. that? So in the paper, they say like this could be, uh, this vibrational technology and stuff like that could be interesting for electronics like smartwatches to sort of vibrate fluid off of them that's not exactly where my brain would go with anal appendages and bugs smart watch what yes so <laughs> because it effectively that's a reach yeah that is a very strong reach <laughs> but i guess <laughs> because then you can sort of keep the the smartwatch completely well not really waterproof but you can get it like dry uh -huh. Because of the, you just need like the elasticity of like the, the, the droplet itself, the water droplet, and like the thing to sort of vibrate in a certain way. And then you can sort of flicker off those, those water droplets off of it. Yeah. Okay. Science. Science. Yeah. With butt flickers. We've done it. I need a second to recover from that one. Yes. I am still, I have so many questions still though. <laughs> like, did... Because in the article, it says like it's called butt flickers, but it wasn't clear to me whether that name was already there before the scientists researched this or that they retroactively like butt flickers. That's what we need to call this. Well, I wonder if these researchers ever thought that this paper would get them in a podcast, but uh, <laughs> well, here they are. <laughs> here they are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's time to move on. Yes. Give me something very, very related to butt flickers. Uh, dodos. Close Does that enough. count? Yeah? Okay. 
So uh, apparently dodos are next in line for de-extinction by scientists reviving the mammoth. Okay, so there's this um, bioscience company called Colossal Biosciences. Mm -hmm. And uh, they try to solve what they call a colossal problem facing the world, uh, namely extinction. Hashtag branding right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what they want to do is figure out a way to like stop extinction. And uh, they say this is super relevant because global warming and more species are going to go extinct in the next 50 years. Um, But first, they want to basically revive the mammoth. And uh, let me let me read out loud their their business statement because it's interesting (laughs) combining the science of genetics with the business of discovery we endeavor to jumpstart nature's ancestral heartbeat to see the woolly mammoth thunder upon the tundra once again to advance the economics of biology and healing through genetics to make humanity more human and to reawaken the lost wilds of earth so we and our planet can breathe easier yeah okay um (laughs) I don't know if the woolly mammoth will be happy in like a... a sus- the current world? Yes, yeah, no, good, I don't yeah, know either. No. <laughs> so anyway, the mammoth was their first animal on the list, mm-hmm. which is uh, a mammal, of course. Yep. And then a while ago, they also added the thialacine, also known as the Tasmanian wolf, which is, despite its name, actually a merciful, just like the koala and the wombats, which... Surprises me with a name like that, but okay. Oh, so it's also going to have like massive amounts of syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Koalas do. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, I I did read something about that indeed. But um, anyway, (laughs) they're now adding the dodo to the list and uh, a bird type because you got to catch them all after all. Oh, yeah. Pidgey. Yes. (laughs) And uh, they actually got funding for this. They got $115 million uh, for just the dodo part. Um, And this is going to start their avian genomics research group, which is also going to aim to help currently endangered birds uh, with their technologies that they find. Um, Now, you might wonder, like, how far did they actually get with the rest of it? Well, they gave a little update as well. Uh, The Thialacins team uh, of 30 scientists actually have uh, derived pluripotent stem cells from dunards, which is the most close, closest uh, living relevant to the to thialacin mm-hmm. or the Tasmanian wolf. Yeah. Um, and they have actually developed pipe, pipelines for how to edit these dunard early cells into something that looks more like... Living. Well, uh, a Tasmanian wolf. Yeah, a living Tasmanian wolf. I do wonder... Uh, how they know Tasmanian wolf. But I think Tasmanian wolf hasn't been extinct that long. So maybe they actually have DNA from that one. Yeah, maybe. And uh, most impressively, the team has actually prototyped an uh, artificial womb designed to carry Merciful's young to term. Okay. So that's interesting. I really Do they actually have... Do they do they grow their, their babies into into sacks? Like, uh, like, like pouches? Like the... I don't know. They've been extinct. Clearly, it wasn't efficient. No, but I mean more merciples in general, because then I can sort of imagine why you would go for this this type of animal. Mm. Yeah, I don't know for something if it's sort of closer to a koala. I mean, they're, they're kangaroos, I guess. But... We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. 
Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. The pouch is a distinguishing feature of female marshmallows. So mm. yes, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that sort of makes sense that it might be easier to create an artificial womb. Mm. Ah, it's oh, this are all starts to make scientific sense here. Yeah, they're just going anyway. for the low-hanging fruit of <laughs> <laughs> artificial wombs. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's yeah, still quite difficult to make, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think scientifically what they're trying to do is quite cool. Mm -hmm. I would still start with just the dodos instead of like, we need more mammoths on the earth. <laughs> I, I am looking forward to dodos. I think they they can be interesting to just have. They also don't take as much place yeah. like in the world. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about bringing back the mammoth. I yeah. mean, that feels more like something that will end up in zoos and stuff. I mean, uh, to be honest, I I think no one can really complain. Well, people will still complain about the dodo if we like make a female and a male version and have them reproduce slowly and stuff like that. Like. Yeah, but they're basically chickens. So that no, exactly. That's why I was like, no one will really complain. Like. Yeah, they might be an invasive species if they ever get out of the lab, but <laughs> clearly it hadn't worked out well for them in the beginning either. So no, I don't... no, apparently that thing about them having no fear is actually like seems to be true. So I mm. didn't know. I thought it was just something that movies came up with, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no. No. Okay. Okay. Time for the next one. What yeah. else do we have? Yes. So I want you to think of peak female fertility. Yeah. Is a naked mole rat what is coming to your mind right now no weird should it yes apparently it should at least <laughs> when it comes to mammals okay okay apparently so um the naked mole rat is apparently a very interesting uh, animal slash mammal because it har hardly ever gets cancer mm -hmm. doesn't really feel pain uh, like other mammals do okay and it hardly it's sort of normal biological function hardly really declines with age um and it tends to have this weird behavior where it lives in colonies with one queen and that queen is the only one that's really allowed to reproduce and have babies and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah. So it's a really interesting mammal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, apparently it, that, that the queen um, doesn't really undergo anything like menopause or so it, it can keep having babies until it dies. Okay. 
which is quite unusual because as a rat or a rodent species in general, that like most rodents stop at some, I think all rodents stop at some point quite early, like sort of humans do as well at certain age. Mm -hmm. uh, but not the naked mole rat. And apparently it's because they have sort of like these biological, special biological processes that keep oogenesis happening till, the, till they die, which is okay. not the case for humans or rodents. Um, and, but yeah, the scientists are still not really, really clear on how, how that, yeah, how they do it. Mm -hmm. Because for humans, we start out, you, female humans start out with a certain amount of eggs and slowly declines over time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, naked mole rats just keep making more and more and yeah, keep, keep, keep them fresh as it were. Okay. Uh, and uh, just one last thing I want to mention, not specifically about the, the research, but more about the article, the popular science article that referenced the research. All the way at the bottom, where it says like there's uh, the source can be found uh, here. So the original paper was in Nature Communications, but uh, they wrote down Naked Communications. <laughs> and I would like to hope that was intentional, <laughs> if not, still brilliant. <laughs> But yeah, that. Okay. So now you know, peak female fertility, naked mole rats. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, from under the ground, we're going to go to space for, the, for these next two, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this one is called, A trick inspired by Hansel and Gretel could help rovers explore the worlds. Uh, plural, worlds. Oh, okay. Because this is, of course, about the rovers that we send to other planets, and mm -hmm. then we try to collect information there. But the problem is that if this rover loses communication, then all the data it has collected is is basically gone. So you can send it into a tunnel or like a, a, a more difficult space, mm -hmm. but if it cannot get out again, you will never get any information, and basically the machine is just lost. Yeah, which is. A shame for this multi-billion dollar machines that take like 15 years to get to where they need to go and stuff. Yeah. Um, so the idea that scientists are now having is that to perhaps use a multi-rover system where a smaller rover pick piggybacks on a larger mother rover and on this tiny baby rover is the one that you send into the uncertain territory like a cave or a lava tube. Um, but then it still cannot sort of communicate back the data. So what they want to do is uh, leave these sensors, mm -hmm. which they call the breadcrumbs from Hansel and Gretel, Gretel, that like are the size of AirPods, and it just leaves them as it goes. And then that sort of system can ping from one sensor to the other, back to the mother rover, and then back to Earth. Mm. So that even if the machine gets stuck, I doesn't get, get, cannot get, get back out. You at least get the data from it and you can uh, see more about what is happening in this lava tube or cave or whatever. Mm. Now, uh, they do say that it doesn't mean that the rover can then use that to get back because it still might, the baby rover still might get stuck. Yeah. So, yeah. And what, yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of thinking out loud here. Like, what if you, instead of having one baby rover, have? multiple baby rovers yeah i don't know how big this baby <laughs> rover is massive mother rover uh they also say that it might be really useful in circumstances like earthquakes where mm. there are spaces where humans cannot go because it's too unstable mm -hmm. but then you could send one of these baby rovers in there that then ping back information about what they're seeing yeah no for sure but for the the sense i got was that these are a bit ex more expendable than like, yeah. the big big mother rover yeah i mean if you lose the mother rover you lose all signal uh yeah yeah no fair and yeah 
that 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 seems like a very how should I say loose link to Hansel and Gretel though yeah <laughs> it's like tiny breadcrumbs okay yeah sure yeah. I guess yeah 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 it's, yeah yeah okay okay now you also had a space one I believe yes yes I do um so when you think about traveling to the moon what is one big problem that immediately comes to mind exactly breathing well no <laughs> 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 moon dust oh yeah so i remember us talking about how to grow plants in it but yes. now it's a problem yeah so it's also a problem okay so moon dust is the technical term is lunar regolith okay i um yeah i'm not sure if i pronounced that correctly but we're gonna go with it um and so the the moon dust can damage space spacesuits mm. so it uh, it has certain qualities that really make it um annoying for spacesuits so it, it's never been subjected to erosion by wind or water. So the particles of the moon dust are quite jagged and abrasive mm. uh, compared to at least normal earth dust. Uh, in addition to that, they're also positively charged by radiation. So oh. they also get attached to the, the spacesuits quite easily and they oh. can't really come off. And any attempt to sort of just brush it off just further damages the suit because they're attached really hard and jagged and abrasive. Um, and in addition to that, they're also really bad for any electronics. And a lot of astronauts have also reported any like sort of problems with uh, uh, res respiratory issues uh, from coming into contact with the moon dust. Hmm. So it definitely has its issues. But at least when it comes to spacesuits, some scientists have tried out using uh, ultra, ultra cold liquid nitrogen spray um, and applying it to sort of the warmer uh and they didn't really tr try it out exactly on the moon dust itself, but sort of on a, a simulated lunar regolith. Not exactly sure how they simulated it, but it's called a simulated regolith. Um, and they tried it out by spraying it on the spacesuit. Space and uh, what ends up happening is that the dust particles do end up coming off and sort of floating away in the nitrogen vapor. Uh, and this is sort of similar to another process called the Leiden frost effect. And it's sort of like if you have a, a really hot pan and then you sort of pour cold water on it and then you start see the water just like skid, skiddling around in the pan like that. That's because there's like hot air in between the water and the pan, sort of making the water float. And then the water itself uh, doesn't really evaporate as fast as it would if it were just like on the pan directly. Uh, okay. But this, this same principle can be applied to like get the dust off the, the spacesuits using the nitrogen because it will go under the dust and sort of like make a space and then it'll sort of fall off or f uh, fly away from the spacesuit. Okay. So that's what people are trying now with like to save these spacesuits and that they don't get damaged. Uh, and they tried it out now in uh, normal atmospheric conditions and in sort of inside a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that it seems relevant, yes. Yeah, that's very handy. <laughs> Um, and it worked in both conditions, but it performed better in uh, in the vacuum, which is okay. ideal. Yeah. And it actually ended up removing about like 98, north of 98% of the dust that was on the spacesuit. Okay. So very effective way. You just need to log some liquid nitrogen with you oil at all yeah, times. Yeah, that seems, doesn't seem like the safest thing to bring on a spaceship. Highly combustible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah, it can also if if your tank explodes, you basically suck out all the air in the in the compartment that you're in. So yeah, I don't know. I minor don't know. issues. Minor to, issues. Yeah. Needs optimization, but hey, at least your spacesuit will be okay. Yes, exactly. Pristine condition spacesuit. Okay, so that was that one. 
<laughs> time to move on to the last one we have, I think. Yes. Okay, so this one is about a promising male contraceptive pill that works in 30 minutes and wears off in a day. Excellent. I guess. Maybe. Yeah? Is that what we want? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you tell me. <laughs> what, what are the caveats? Okay, so it's been developed by scientists at Weill Cornell Medicine. Okay. And it's a pill that can be taken just before intercourse. <laughs> and it greatly reduces fertility for 24 hours. Uh, and it works by targeting a protein called soluble adenylcyclase, mm -hmm. or SAC. In. Yeah, target sacks. Okay. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> We've done it. Yes. Uh, which is a vital protein for sperm function. And uh, that makes the drug sac that makes the, the, the drug a sac inhibitor. Um, <laughs> which is <laughs> Oh these scientists. So. Yes. Uh, it's unclear if this joke was actually intended or not. Uh, but we feel it's too good to to not be on purpose. Yeah, I would highlight it in their paper, like like bold underlined sacs, sac inhibitors. <laughs> sac. The previous studies had found that mice and men who lacked uh, the sac mm. uh, were <laughs> were infertile, <laughs> but otherwise healthy. So the team wanted to know if this was uh, uh, if they were able to block it to use mm. as a contraceptive. And they tested it out on mice, and then actually com almost completely uh, inhibited the mice sperms for 30 to 60 minutes after taking it. And mm. it remained 100% effective for up to two and a half hours. And then after three hours, some of the sperms began to regain motility. And after 24 hours, the mice were essentially back to full fertility. Uh, and also, there were no negative effects for uh, these mice having these drugs for six weeks. Mm. continuously so every day mm. and it makes it a really flexible option because you can either take it just before like when your date is going well you mm. know or you can take it every day um, and then reduce fertility for a while which is a lot more flexible than other well, the other experimental male contraceptives that are being tested mm -hmm. because they take weeks to reduce fertility yeah uh, and also to regain it after st you stop taking it. Well, this is only 24 hours. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and uh, there's also another option to get gel injected into your vas deferens. Uh, but then maybe taking a pill is a bit less... Um, yeah, <laughs> ball busting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was actually published in Nature Communications. Uh, and the first author is Melanie Ballbeck. <laughs> 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 Sacks and balls all over the place. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm sorry, but has a researcher ever been born more destined to work on something? I don't know. This whole paper is so on team. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I can only, like someone in their group must have noticed, like, hmm, <laughs> should I mention something? Yeah. 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 No, it is pretty perfect. Yeah. Okay. So uh, those were all our topics for today. And if you want to see any more science news like this, then be sure to follow Explained by Scientists on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Um, and if our listeners have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can reach us via our website, thestrongingscientist.com. And you can also check out our website for some really cool science-inspired merch and to sign up for our awesome Journal of the Struggling Scientist, aka our newsletter. And if you have enjoyed this episode, then leave a rating um, 
for this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform as it helps uh, us grow our podcast. You can also follow us on social media, Jaden, which wants artists again. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Mastodon, and a little bit on Pinterest. Yes. Uh, and we hope to see you all next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.